Welcome back to another episode of the Tartar Project. Thank you so much for tuning in and listening. I really appreciate it. Hey, it's me, your host, Phil Toronto. This week, we talked to Ashwarya, founder of Brightland. Brightland is taking a modern look at your pantry, and they start first with olive oils. They have since moved into a vinegar product, and they're coming out with even more non-edible products soon. But Ashwarya walks us through her approach to building the brand, even though she has no background in the food industry and following her passion uh, to just do what feels right with her life. And it's very inspiring. Some of the really interesting points that we touch on are how to give yourself the permission to trust yourself uh, and letting go and kind of following the path that you feel is right and know is right and just having the courage to do so. That was a big part of her journey. Another favorite part of the conversation was around Ashwarya's approach to taking feedback from customers, investors, other founders, and just molding that into something that helps drive her vision forward. And she has a very, very interesting take on how to apply that to your own business or your own life. So definitely listen for that later on in the episode. But taking a ton of steps back, why did I even want to have Ashwarya on the episode to begin with? She's building a beautiful brand. She's super smart. I love her just approach to something that a lot of consumers just haven't even given a second thought to. And when she walks you through what the first initial problem that they were solving, which was the olive oil that you cook with and how that actually impacts pretty much everything on the plate of what you're cooking, uh, it's, it's a light bulb moment. And I love those. And she's very good at highlighting that. So without further ado, let's tune into the conversation. Hey, everybody. Another episode of the Tartar Project. I have Ashwarya of Brightland with me today. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for having me. Very jazzed to be here. Oh, yeah, that's that's one of the most excited adjectives that a guest has used. Um, so I really appreciate that. <laughs> Can you film the Tartar Project listeners in on what Brightland is? Yes. Brightland is a modern pantry essentials brand that um, really champions traceability in the supply chain and elevated design. We're best known for our extra virgin olive oils from California and our vinegars um, that are really fruit forward and wonderful. Amazing. And we're going to take a bunch of steps back. Where did you grow up? I grew up in, so I was born in India and um, my parents, you know, we immigrated here when I was very young, less than one actually, and grew up in Houston, Texas um, and had a very like kind of typical, uh, I would say like American immigrant story in terms of like straddling two worlds, you know, on the weekdays I was like eating PB&J and, you know, watching TRL and then on the weekends I was, um, I was, you know, learning classical Indian music, classical Indian dance, like huge parts of my life and things that I continue to do now. But, you know, at the time I felt like I was really like straddling two worlds and trying to figure out my place in all of it. Totally. Yeah. That had to be hard because it's almost like a dual life where the school friends have no idea almost unless you invite them into that weekend life, um, which could be challenging. Did you like school while you were growing up? Was it I fun? Did no, I did. <laughs> did. Did you wind up going to college? I did. 
I ended up going to UT Austin for two years. Amazing. And um, it was a wonderful experience in that I did not go to class very much. So that, um, and spent a lot of time, um, yeah, learning like how to party and all of that. And then just kind of had an awakening where I was like, I don't think I'm meant to be here. Like this is just not the right place for me. And um, without telling my family, I actually like ended up applying to NYU, New York University in New York. And I felt a calling towards it, had no idea if I would get in. And then I did. And my parents also to their credit said, okay, you know, you should go like if this is what makes you happy. So I ended up doing my last two years at NYU. And the, um, I think I found a little bit more of my purpose because I joined the Gallatin School of Individualized Study, which is a school within the university where you create your own major and it's very, uh, it is very entrepreneurial. There are no two people who have the same concentration ever, nor will there ever be. And you have to weave and kind of bring together something that makes sense and like have focus, but also know that you're charting your own path. And it just was, I had a blast with it. Like that was the right thing for me to do. Yeah, that sounds incredible. And what what helped you craft your path that you put together uh, once you got to NYU? Like what what filled in your curriculum for you? Yeah, I ended up um, focusing on media and and I want to like take a step back and I'm going to use the term globalization. And this was, you know, 2006 or seven. So that was, you know, a hot, hot kind of topic. I think it's... Not really. I think it's very much kind of like table stakes. But in any case, uh, I studied media and globalization with an emphasis on South Asian gender studies. Um, And it was just the things that I was interested in, honestly, at the time that I wanted to apply critical thinking and research to and knew that, you know, hopefully the takeaways would be um, would be more of the like critical thinking like lessons that I would learn and would later apply, but didn't really think about it from a like, I will learn this and apply it directly to any sort of career, clearly. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> but like the the abstract way to do that probably is like, yeah, this this could apply two steps down the road. That's fine. Did you have any entrepreneurial endeavors while you were in school or shortly after? I did not. I um I always say now that I'm living a bigger life than I ever imagined. You know, when I was at UT or, you know, in high school, I thought that I would live in Houston. I thought that I would live near my parents, like in the same suburb, you know, like my dreams and goals were very like, I think, um, just really contained. And then when I got to New York, they'd certainly expanded, like, you know, my world's just like, blew apart which was so incredible but I still didn't think of myself like I didn't have this like oh I'm gonna be an entrepreneur like it was very much at the time like corporate ladder like I looked up to Indra Nui the um, CEO CEO of Pepsi I thought she was like so amazing she's also South Asian uh, and South Indian specifically like comes from the same city that I was actually born in so I was just amazing so amazing so I was kind of like veering in that direction like I wanted to work at L'Oreal after graduation and like that was the direction I was going in um and yeah and I like I think that you know I think that I am I now am living a bigger life than I ever could have imagined it was just so exciting that's awesome what what did you wind up doing after school once you left NYU yeah I worked at L'Oreal you you nailed the dream great (laughs) 
yeah. Uh, and I also graduated into the recession, so I wasn't there for very long. Right. <laughs> and then was just like bopping around. I mean, like tried to, I got an internship, like just was trying to piece together something. And then ended up making a bit of a career pivot and went to a startup. I went to a fintech company um, that had you know, raised a little bit of funding and was, you know, kind of doing some interesting stuff. They were basically doing things in the secondary market. So it was called Second Market and um, joined them and focused on public affairs. So government affairs and corporate communications and just got that was the like start of my startup bug, basically got to see the company go from, I think it was like 30 to 200, got to see the growing pains associated with that, got to see the growth and the in- excitement. And I was like, oh, this is my speed. We worked so fast. And that I think like caught a hold of me. And I was like, I always want to be in this speed. This is, yeah. this is exciting. That's awesome. And what, what, when did you start just crafting the idea for Brightland? Because I feel like it would it followed shortly after because you launched maybe three years ago, I'd say, at this point. And I'm sure there was plenty of work and legwork that had to go in before you even got to that point. Yeah, I had been at this point living in New York for about like eight or nine years um, doing this, you know, working at a startup. And then I was, you know, with startups. So just living this New York life where I basically never cooked, even though I came from a family of like food is like our love language. Home cooked food is also like the biggest sign of, you know, love and appreciation. But I think like, you know, all things I sort of like rebelled against that when I was living in New York and was just like, I'm going to eat at every restaurant and had this big spreadsheet of restaurants. In any case, like year eight or nine, I slowly was like, you know what, it would be nice to start cooking a little bit more. And so started cooking and both my partner and I noticed that we kept getting stomach aches every time we cooked. So we were like, is it bread? Is it cheese? And did a little bit of research and found that it could be the cooking oil. So dug a little bit more in that. And I found out that north of kind of 70% of, you know, specifically olive oil that people are consuming in, in the United States is either like adulterated or rancid or rotten and was really blown away by that. And this applies to a number of categories in food and especially in pantry. And I thought that the whole thing was bizarre because here we are talking about farmer's market vegetables or like, you know, what type of milk are you consuming? But when it comes to really foundational things that are in every single meal that we eat, that part just felt a bit forgotten. So I was very intrigued and was like, okay, I wanna like do some research on this. So that set me down the path. Um, And this was, I think like 2015, that first like, oh, what's going on here? But I have to say, you know, I, because one, I wasn't like seeking out an entrepreneurial endeavor or like, I'm gonna be a founder, like that wasn't a part of my thinking. And then two, I was also operating under this like, well, in order to do that, maybe I should be a famous restaurateur or I should have gone to business school. Like you immediately kind of think of what you don't have or what yeah. you need. I definitely like, it took me a two and a half years to like wrap my head around this concept of like, no, I can do this and I, um, I can share my point of view and that's okay. So once I kind of grappled with that from like a life journey standpoint, um, at that point, I started like, you know, 
putting my head down and actually building. And by then we had moved to California. And so that like really helped accelerate the journey because I discovered the beautiful world of like produce and um, amazing family farms here in the state and said, okay, you know, I think there's something we can thread together here. Totally. I think you really grabbed me the first time we ever spoke on the phone when you, I think you even asked like, do you remember the last time that you purchased olive oil that you're cooking with? And I was like, oh, no. And you're like, you're pr- it's probably dramatically expired. <laughs> yes, that makes so much sense. And then walking through, um, can you talk a little bit about the difference between olives? Because I thought that was super interesting, too, because a lot of folks don't realize that there's different flavor profiles. And it's not just an olive that creates olive oil. And there's different characteristics and everything. That was really intriguing for me. Yeah, absolutely. It's actually a really beautiful industry that you can kind of provide some analogy to wine, I suppose, where, you know, there are so many types of grapes and terroir, but ultimately it's a living thing. It's it's an agricultural product. And so what you have to remember is that, A, with olive oil, their freshness is incredibly important. So what you said about shelf life, that is key. Like from the time that it was harvested, olive oil immediately starts to basically like move through its life cycle and one day it has a has a finishing point basically like an end point and that life cycle is anywhere from like 16 to 24 ish months from harvest date we say 18 to be really like kind of um yeah forward leaning with that and we always share you know brightland as a brand always has the freshest olive oil available to people we don't we sell like the har- the the olive oil from the most current harvest so that in and of itself is kind of like the 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 baseline kind of really important thing to understand and and that affects how the olive oil tastes its um health benefits that it provides and um smoke point things that you may think are unrelated are all related to this concept of freshness and harvesting and then when you layer on top of that the concept of like olive varietals there are actually hundreds of olive varietals that can go into like being blended and creating olive oil so it's really beautiful because you have based on where the olives were originally like cultivated to then where they end up being um whether it's through colonization or through you know immigration like that journey that the olives have taken to then arrive in america for example um these olives, there are, you know, there are hundreds of olives that are available in California. And it's pretty incredible to see the various flavor profiles that can come about. Like we have blends, you know, with Brightland that are more robust and really peppery and grassy, great for like soups and stews and like dipping with crusty bread. And then we also have blends that are a little more like subtle, better for baking, really great for like salads because they're not so like they don't cause such a big bite. So it's a lot of fun to to dive into and be, you know kind of um, uh, dig into more. Oh, totally. Um, and then you you're trusting yourself. You're getting ready to jump off the cliff, start a company. Where where did you start? Because this is a completely different world from what you were in. Like it's it's not fintech. It's not. It's kind of it's it is CPG, but it's different from a L'Oreal. Where did you even begin that journey around? hey, I'm going to do this. couple things in tandem. One, uh, reconciling with the fact that I decided not to raise any kind of funding. Um, I'm not independently wealthy. I want to like just be very transparent about that. But I am privileged in that like I didn't graduate with student loans and I have a partner 
who um, has a full-time job, and I had worked for a decade in industries that are lucrative, you know, so I had savings um, and the capacity of a partner to like, you know, lean on to. So that we made the financial decision together to say, let's take our savings and use this as like the money to kickstart this company. So we did not, I did not go out and like raise any friends and family or angel, nothing. So that was the first decision to make, right? Because you like know how much money you have to then mm -hmm. utilize to say, okay, let's let's build this, right? And how far can it get us? So once that was decided, it was, okay, well, I don't know anything about this industry. I want to get educated. So it was a lot of industry specific, like, you know, studying, um, taking courses at the UC Davis Olive Center, studying the pantry essentials aisles at all kinds of stores. It was sending surveys to hundreds and hundreds of people, just learning and understanding whether it's consumer behavior, um, customer behavior at stores, customer like competitive analysis, and then industry knowledge. So it was like a kind of a myriad of things. Um, and then it was really like thinking about what is this brand and what does it stand for? What is the soul of the brand? So there was that piece. And then I think the final piece was just reaching out to anybody who would take a call with me, like anybody who started, whether it was, you know, a hot sauce company, tampons, like I talked to so many founders just who would give me 15, 20 minutes and I'd come prepared with a couple of like key questions to ask them. And that was so instrumental because- of course. Yeah, like I would have just been like on an island somewhere. Like and you don't know what you don't know, so <laughs> might as well as ask. But I think that a healthy dose of naivete is like very important because had I known everything I know now, I don't think I would have gone into this with this like fresh perspective, you know, or maybe I would have been more like already jaded. I just went into it with like such bright eyes. Um, so I hope that entrepreneurs who are like like early, really early in their journey, I hope that they continue to do that and don't spend too much time looking at what other people are doing, especially with like Instagram and it's so noisy now. Um, really like spend time not doing that. <laughs> yeah, of course, actively run away from it. <laughs> what, what came first? Did you begin working on the product offering, what you envisioned after learning from other founders and everything? and then develop the brand or did the brand come to you right away and then you built off of that or is it kind of chicken and the egg it was a bit in tandem at the same time because i knew i couldn't do one without the other um i would say product led first a little bit because that ultimately informed the brand everything that the brand stood for but brand was not like, it wasn't like product was up here and brand was down here. It sort of came like this and then did this a lot. That's good. I visualized um, this. Perfect. What does Brightland mean? Um, Brightland means, well, the, where did the name come from? Yeah, so, what inspired you to, to go all in on Brightland? Yeah, um, well... I knew I wanted it to be stand for, I knew I wanted it to stand for like something that you closed your eyes and you could just envision um, 
it would just evoke something within you. And it doesn't have to be the same thing for everybody. But this notion of like what it means to live in a golden state or a golden state of mind, I we knew that was like our kind of um, North Star. And so Brightland, the name came kind of stemmed from that. But in terms of like the nitty gritty of how that name came to be, um, I was in I was in Tokyo for like a, a, a visit and um, was walking into all these stores and kept hearing this folk music like in every like they love Americana and like you know kind of like that folk folk vibe in yeah. a lot of really cool denim stores and whatever. So I was like shazamming music and then um, created a playlist and one of the songs was from this Aussie folk band called The Seekers. And it, the song was called The Olive Tree. So I was like, oh, I wanna look at the lyrics. And the lyrics were, I'm searching for the olive tree and to the bright land I go. And I just thought that it was so beautiful and also didn't, like we, we knew we never wanted to just be olive oil. Like I think we wanted that to be our first product. Yeah. And to have a, a name, a brand name that wasn't going to like, kind of um, pigeonhole us into any sort of category or any kind of, you know, um, direction was really important. And so that was the genesis. Oh, that's amazing. And what, um, how'd you land on the product names themselves? Because they're very descriptive. I believe it, it's alive. Um, you, yeah. you launched with three olive oils or did you launch with two? Yes, all of our products have names. So, um, you know, we launched with Awake and Alive. We then expanded into Lucid, Rosette, Ardor, Parasol, Rapture. So we really, I think that comes back to my days in beauty. I was so inspired by like when you name a lip gloss or a lipstick, you create emotion around it. So that was something I really wanted to transfer. And I felt like, you know, I looked at food and, um, and at, you know, food and beverage brands. And I felt like I wasn't seeing that emotion really being built from within. Um, and so I said, I really want to, I feel like that could be really compelling. So I really want to build that. That was the genesis for it. Amazing. And what's it like to do an olive oil tasting when you have to formulate the product? How, how do you even approach that? What do you look for um, before you give the green light on, yes, this, this can be a Brightland oil? Yeah, totally. Um, I mean, we're really lucky to work with an incredible like family run farm that, you know, has organic practices and they do all like hand harvesting. So the oil truly, the olives are really plump. The oil truly is like really bright and grassy and, and fresh. And so we know that we're starting at a really like solid baseline, if that makes sense. And I think that in and of itself is important. But then on top of that, when we do like custom blending, et cetera. I mean, I really, I'll try it straight. So like, I think everyone should have no qualms actually like tasting their olive oil without anything. You shouldn't try it with bread or tomatoes or anything. It should be like, um, almost like you're doing a whiskey tasting and really let it sit in your palate and um, like think about what it tastes like we jot down notes. We have our own kind of scorecard in the kind of in the like you're doing like a sensory analysis basically. So that's a nice way to sort of like judge what you're tasting. Um, and then after that, you can add additional elements and sort of see, hey, what does it taste like, you know, with some chocolate and sea salt? What does it taste like 
drizzled over dates. And that can then inform you what makes sense in terms of like pairings and also what makes sense in terms of like how the, the um, certain blends that come together, is it too punchy or is it punchy like just right? Um, yeah. Amazing. And then olive oil is obviously your, your first category. How do you get comfortable or decide which uh, next category you're taking on? Because I, I think next was vinegar. Um, yes. And I know you want to tackle the entire pantry and then some. Um, so what's your what's your thinking around that? Well, vinegar specifically was very much a blend of our customers. Um, so we like are always listening and asking our customers what they think and what they want. And it's been pretty amazing. Like they've our customers were the ones who said, we want to see infused oils from you, which is why we launched a lemon infused. We've since launched a chili infused. Um, a garlic, which came out, you know, last month, um, and a basil. So we've definitely like expanded the product portfolio that way based on customer feedback. And we've even been as specific to ask, you know, between a rosemary and a garlic, which one do you want? And people like were overwhelmingly enthusiastic about garlic, which is why we launched that, you know, last month. Um, so that's, that's, I think, been a huge source of our customers have been a huge source of, um, inspiration in terms of like product direction and so when it came time for thinking about like what does vinegar look like we went to our customers and asked what do you want to see what are you excited about we knew that it was a really like natural extension too you know and a natural kind of like um kind of pairing with the olive oil so it wasn't so much of something that was like super left field but yeah it's been an exciting we're about to launch something in april that is not something that you eat but it is oh, a category and it um, kind of hits home this idea of Brightland providing like joy and simple everyday moments in your kitchen. So it really hits home that piece of our like brand promise. Oh, that's um, so exciting. So thank you. Yeah, I'm really like excited about it. And so it, um, I think when we look at product launches, it's a mix of what are customers asking for? Does it kind of hit the Brightland brand promise? Is it something that we um, we feel excited about because we're either championing or educating a certain like in a certain category? So it needs to fit a few of these lenses and then we move forward. Amazing. And one thing I've noticed is you do a great job of circling up feedback either from other founders, from your customers or from investors. And you do a lot of research prior to kind of doing anything. That's That's a theme that I'm picking up. And this may be a tough question to answer, but do you have any tips for other entrepreneurs or not, maybe not entrepreneurs for balancing the feedback they're receiving with their vision and how to integrate that yes. in, a, in a way that works? Absolutely. Absolutely. I think that it's incredibly important to um, stay in line with yourself and like check in with yourself on like what you think could be um really game changing or you're personally really excited about to put out into the world. And I think that it's important to, you know, solicit feedback. And if you hear things that are like super overwhelming, like we kept hearing that the oil and vinegar kept like dripping down the sides of the bottles and people that was like overwhelming feedback. And so we said, okay, we're going to come out with a spout, but we're not going to come out with any old spout just to do it really quickly. We actually waited like a year and a half because we, wanted to find the perfect spout for Brightland and for our bottles. And when we did that, it was like 
the spout actually is one of our like best selling products, which is insane, but um, people love it so much. And I think we did it on our terms with the feedback in place. So that's an example of like it converging together. But we've had instances like the product we're going to launch in April. No one's asked for it, but we feel strongly and we're so excited about it um, that yeah. we're going to put it out into the world. So I think it's like maybe mixing the two together as much as you can. A blend, if you will, infuse, yeah. infusing feedback. Infusing, yeah. <laughs> uh, two questions and I'll let you get back to your day. The first is, do you have a life motto or mantra that you apply to either getting you through this journey or even outside of entrepreneurial life? Absolutely. My motto is, um, it is a, it is absolutely a marathon and not a race. And in the end of the day, you'll find that you're only running against yourself. Oh, I love that. That's really good. And then last question is, where can people find you and Brightland? Yes, Brightland can be found on brightland.co and on Instagram at wearebrightland. And I'm on Twitter at Aishwarya228. And on Instagram is hello Aishwarya, but I'm a little quiet because I like to spend a lot of time away from my phone. <laughs> yeah, I think that's healthy. <laughs> that's <laughs> the right way to do it. And cooking maybe, I don't know. And cooking, absolutely. Amazing. Thank you so much for doing this today. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Phil. Of course. We'll talk soon. Talk soon.